All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the book of Colossians. In this session, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. And this section really flows directly out of the preceding section and uh, applies it directly to the Colossians situation. In chapter 2, verses 6 through 15, our preceding uh, section, Paul emphasize the sufficiency of Jesus, how Jesus is fully God, and how Jesus filled us with everything we need. We're complete in him. We've experienced the long-promised spiritual circumcision in him. We've been brought to life in him. The powers that were arrayed against us have been defeated and shamed in him. Now Paul takes all of that and directly applies it to the Colossian situation. He speaks to whatever false ideas they've been hearing, whatever false ideas maybe they're tempted to believe. And what's clear here is the heart of these ideas are Jewish. So they're being tempted to think that in order to really experience God and really be complete, they need to add some Jewish practices, maybe even some Jewish mystical experiences to their uh, relationship with God, and then they'll really have it all. And so Paul now describes the false ideas, um, and then in verses 20 through 23, he gives the first of two reasons for rejecting these false ideas. That's how this whole section works. So uh, verses 16 through 19, here's the false ideas. Verses 20 through 23, here's the first of two reasons for rejecting these false ideas. The second of those reasons shows up at the beginning of chapter 3. And he states these two reasons as implications of what they've experienced in Christ through baptism. Remember, Paul described earlier on here in chapter 2, baptism as a death with Christ and a resurrection with Christ. Well, he says death with Christ means we're dead to such false ideas, and our resurrection with Christ leads to a brand new focus in life. So let's jump into Colossians 2, verses 16 through 19, where Paul really describes what's going on in the Colossian church and appeals to them not to be really led astray by these things. Colossians 2, 16 through 19 says this, Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or Sabbath drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Notice that these things are explicitly Jewish in nature. Um, food and drink, the Jews had all sorts of laws regarding food laws and drink laws. And when he says festival or new moon or Sabbath, that refers to the Jewish ritual calendar festival or the big feast, Passover, Pentecost, and all of that. New moon was the monthly new moon celebration. The Sabbath day was the weekly Sabbath celebration. So the Jewish ritual calendar. And so that's how we know that we're dealing with an explicitly Jewish issue here in the church at Colossae. That in some way is threatening the stability of the, the Christian church there in Colossae. And so he says, let no one act as your judge in regard to those things. Let no one defraud you from those things, right? Then he describes those things this way. Verse 17, Paul says, those things are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so 
the, the ritual calendar of the Jews, the Jewish food laws, those were like a shadow that if you followed that shadow along, eventually you would get to the body that's casting that shadow. In fact, the word translated substance in verse 17 literally is body, that this body cast this shadow back into the Old Testament. Well, the body that cast it was Christ himself. He's the one that was casting that shadow. And so all those things, the food laws, the drink laws, the ritual calendar of the Jews, those were just a shadow that was supposed to eventually lead to Christ. And so he says, let no one defraud you from those things. Verse 18, let no one keep on defrauding you of your prize but by delighting in these sorts of things. So defraud, like take it away from you, like, you know, keep you from it, defraud you of the prize that you have in Jesus, the reward that you have in Jesus by delighting in, and he lists off self-abasement, which has to do with kind of like harsh treatment of the body, lowering of the body, like I'm going to be stern and hard on my body so that I can achieve something. So by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause in his fleshly mind. Man, it would be nice to know exactly what Paul has in mind by some of those phrases, wouldn't it? Uh, we're, like I said in the introduction to Colossians, we're sitting like, for example, in one room, the living room, and our friend got the phone call, and we're listening in on our side of the phone call, and we're wondering what's going in on going on, on the other end of the line, right? And that's where we're at. We have Paul's rejection of what some of the things are um, maybe that are swirling around in Colossae that are kind of stirring up some trouble for the Colossian church, and we just don't know exactly what he's referring to. Self-abasement, as I said, refers to harsh treatment of the body. He mentions worship of angels. Well, that's odd or weird. Um, Jews would not really worship angels, and yet we know we're talking about things related to the Jews. So does he just mean exalting, elevating? Is he using it in a pejorative sense because they have kind of a too high view of angels? Is there some sort of blending of religious ideas here with some Jewish stuff and some maybe pagan stuff? Or is it some sort of Jewish mysticism? There's some... Uh, reports of Jewish mysticism where they were viewed like angels sort of kind of governing almost levels of things that you had to kind of through self-abasement and harsh treatment of the body, you had to work through these levels and then you could have a full experience of God and this full vision of God. Is it that sort of Jewish mysticism? Maybe. We just don't know exactly what he's referring to, but he definitely seems to be thinking of maybe a specific individual or a kind of person who is really, you know, really stern, ritualistic, really has a high view of angels, takes a stand on visions he has seen, on things he has seen, seems to talk, be referring to uh, like some sort of ecstatic experience where he claims to have had this super ultra spiritual experience and encounter with God. And because of that, he's more spiritual. And so you need to listen to him, that sort of thing. Notice Paul says he's inflated without cause in his fleshly mind. He's all puffed up because he thinks he's so super spiritual in uh, his mind that's really governed by the flesh, things that are fleshly, part of just the fallen world and life apart from God. So he, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. And then in verse 9, he says, and he's not holding fast to the head. What does he mean by that? Well, the head in context and in Paul's thinking refers to Jesus. So from whom the entire body, meaning the church body. So this person has you know, they're not, he's not holding fast to Jesus and holding on to Jesus. Um, 
He's got all these other religious ideas that are so important. And so not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, meaning God's people, the, the Christian body, the church body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligament, grows with a growth which is from God. And so that's just his way of saying, like, like whatever false ideas are swirling around in Colossae, whatever false ideas you're hearing, well, those don't come from Jesus and they're not originally from him. And so the picture seems to be of some sort of like flamboyant spiritual leaders who claim to be more spiritual than the people around them. They've had some sort of spiritual experience to prove they're more spiritual. And so now he decides he can, he can tell you how to live and to be spiritual too. And by way of application, even though the details are different in our world than in maybe in Colossae, that stuff still happens today, doesn't it? Like there are there are those who are trying to get people to practice their version of spirituality and they've had some powerful spiritual experience. And, and so if you really want to experience God and really want to have all of God and all that God has for you, man, you need to listen to them and their teaching. That stuff still happens. And Paul says... Don't listen to those kinds of people. Don't let them judge you and make you feel like your spirituality isn't good enough, that your relationship with God is not enough. Don't let them defraud you of your prize, of your, your relationship with God and what God has to offer in Jesus. Why shouldn't you listen to them? Because in, you have Jesus, so you should listen to Jesus. You should follow Jesus. He's the very fullness of God, and in him you have that fullness, as he said up above. So don't let anyone judge you in regard to these things. Then he gives, really, the reason one number one, the first implication out of their faith in Jesus, out of their conversion to Jesus. And he uses the very language of baptism that he used up above in chapter 2, verse 12, where he said that in baptism you were buried and then you were raised up. Well, he's going to use that image and say, let's just draw out the implications of that. And so the first implication here in verse 20 is, if you have died with Christ... And the if isn't, if you have and I'm not sure you have. In Greek, there's two different words for if. There's if you have and I'm not sure, or there's if you have and I know you have. More like since, and that's the word if we have here. If you've died with Christ, and you have. Why? How do you know that? Well, because I just talked about it in verse 12. When you were baptized, that was picturing your death with Christ, right? Your burial with him. And so if you've died with Christ, and you have to the elementary principles of the world, those those powers, those forces, those right, those things that sought to control and dominate you. If you've died to those things, literally the two is actually from. So out from under their control, out from under their power. If you've died with Christ, out from under the control of the elementary principles of the world, then why, as you're still living in the world, do you submit to yourself to decrees like, and he lists some of those things off. And so because of your death with Christ, you've been set free from this world's system, this world's ways, this world's powers. You've been set free from those things. So you don't have to listen to them anymore. You don't have to take instructions from them. You don't have to take orders from those things. Those are part of the old order, the fallen order, not the new order in Christ in which we now have been We've been buried with him and made alive with him in Christ. So you don't have to listen to those things. So why do you submit to decrees such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? And Paul just uses generic language of the kinds of things people will say about food laws and clean cleanliness laws and some of those Jewish laws. And he, he speaks very generically because pagans had some of those same similar laws. So it doesn't matter what you're hearing. 
you don't have to listen to those kinds of laws, right? You don't have to listen to that. Those were part of the old way of life, and those have been those are part of the old order, old creation, and those have been done away with in Christ. And so he says all of those things refer to things to perish with the youth. They, they refer to temporary things, right? Like food and drink and all, perish with the youth. They're temporary. And they're in accordance with the commandments and teaching of men. They're just mere human ideas at this point. They're mere human teachings. They're just, they're just religious ideas. He says in verse 23, These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom. They look wise, right? They sound spiritual. They sound wise. They sound good. They kind of make sense, right? They, they have the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and in self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. So they they kind of have some sort of appearance of wisdom. Oh yeah, these will help us live better lives. These will help us uh, you know, uh, obey God better. But notice he describes it as self-made religion. This, this is just you pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. Self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, like just being harsh. And virtually every world religion, every human religion has those things. Like they have, you know, long periods of fasting to beat the body down. There's rituals where they literally beat the body with whips and Right, like human religions have these sorts of things, the severe treatment of the body. And, and he says, this looks wise, but it's of no value against fleshly indulgence. In other words, they look like they could help you control the fallen human nature in and of yourself, but they don't work. Um, they're, they're, they're powerless against fallen human flesh, you need something more than that. You need new life for that. You need God's spirit to control the flesh. So self-made religion, harsh treatment of the body, apart from Christ and devoid of God's very own spirit, it just doesn't work. And that's his point. And so because you've already died with Christ and you're already entering into the, the new life you have with him, you've been set free from these fallen fleshly powers and ideas and all rituals. You don't have to do that. That's not the way of Christ. That's not the, the kind of life you have. And so he says, watch out for a do-it-yourself religion. That's what he's saying in essence. Even the principle for us today is the same. Watch out for do-it-yourself religion. You died with Christ. You don't need such decrees to be spiritual. You don't, you don't need those things to try to control fleshly desires. That's not the way it works anyhow. All those man-made rules, all those man-made rituals, they lead to slavery again. Christ is our king. And in him, we have everything we need. In him, we have everything we need to deal with fallen fleshliness. Even Paul, it's really important we notice this. Paul doesn't say, oh yeah, it doesn't really matter how you live. You know, the flesh doesn't matter. Live and let live. That's not his point. In fact, he's going to go on very quickly here in the next paragraph and talk about putting to death the flesh. And so there is going to be effort to put to death the flesh. It's just we do it in and with and by Christ and by his spirit. And so it's different. We've moved into a new creation. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. And so we have new powers and new abilities by virtue of Christ and the Spirit to deal with the flesh. And so you've died with Christ. You don't need all of that. That's not the way it is. Hold fast to Christ. Look to Christ. Listen to Christ. And this is a, a really important part of growing to maturity in Christ where also we realize 
what I need to really do is just cling to Jesus, draw near to Jesus. And if I do that, all the other stuff begins to fade away. So the one real central thing I need is holding on to Jesus, looking to Jesus, listening to Jesus. That's what I need. That's the way I deal with fleshly indulgence. That's the way I live the very life that God has for me in Jesus.